imagine I could be a different person because that's what the world is telling them. I could be a different person with a different name, a different sex. Uh, nobody would be able to refer to the old me. I'm just going to create a whole new me. If you think about it, it is the most alluring option to give any teenager that we've ever given them this idea that you could be a different person and actually the person you're going to be is really edgy and they might even have a YouTube channel they could be actually really really you know they could be even be an influencer which frankly among children is like the best it's better than anything and so it's it's such a intellectually exciting idea now we're older we know that you can't escape from yourself they have been taught at a young age you can be somebody different and they buy it welcome to the new fetch podcast the podcast you deserve my name is ricky Orpike, and joining me once again is my fellow parent in in arms jonathan astro ricky very slick uh how are you i'm great thanks uh i'm, I'm really looking forward to our show today we've got stella o'malley coming back to talk this time, uh, well, it's about parenting again, but this time uh, more with a with a with a gender slant. Mm. Well, you know, we've been doing the, the trans stuff for a little bit. Uh, what's your where are you at with it at the moment? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. Where am I at with it? I'm I'm still a man, if that's what you. No, I, I still identify. Mean, as I don't mean how's the transition going. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like you know, no, because we've been, you know, it's a journey, and you know. It, you, you, at first, you're like, people are doing what? And then, you know, then you have the... It's been a, a while, so I'm just interested how you're feeling about uh, the issue. We covered it extensively for a bit. Covered a lot. I mean, it's interesting that, I mean, there are so many different aspects to it. So, I mean, when you're talking about sort of uh, women's spaces and women's rights, that's one aspect. Then you've got trans kids, which I feel like is like a totally different bag. And then, and then even that is is sort of split. That's gendered. You've got trans, you know, girls that are getting into it. Guys that are getting, you know, that's a different deal. It, mm. it, it's just it's really complicated. And then and you know, and then you've got, uh, you know, the 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 pharmaceutical industry is is kind of part of it. And then you've are got, you concerned you know? like that? Isn't there always a danger that it could take over your life if you wanted it? For sure, yeah. I think I think we're both fairly passionate on the issue. We've got we've got women in our lives. Speak and, yourself. And, you know, so it, it it could it could take over our lives, but we try you know we try not to let it you know invade our thoughts twenty four seven. Yeah, well, uh, one thing before we get on to the interview, I, you know, I was watching Estella's documentary, which everyone's got to check out, it's from a few years back, and I just was noticing the trans men she spoke to because no one speaks to trans men for starters, so she spoke to spoke to a couple of them, and have you ever noticed? Do you ever get a bit jealous about some of the medicalized trans men who are more jacked than you? Of course, yeah. Like they they're just being interviewed and they've got bigger biceps and they're yeah, ripped up pack. like yeah. like um Elliot Page yeah. jacked up. But they're still they're still five foot three and you can never get rid of those feminine hips. I, I just <laughs> I see them a mile off. Mm. You can't yes. get you can't get some sort of hip transplant, or maybe you can. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Yeah. No. No. You're right. No. Look, they've got they've got myriad issues, but you know, I think maybe the message is maybe we need to get on some tea. <laughs> take some tea. Yeah. Let's get do jacked. it. <laughs> All right. We'll just get bloody huge, bloody huge. Well, we need your help here at The New Flesh. We need you to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show. Please follow us on X and Instagram. We're also on YouTube, so please subscribe to our YouTube channel and leave a comment about a show you liked or perhaps one you didn't. 
Uh, word of mouth is also a very powerful tool. So please tell all of your friends. And finally, to our Uber fans, if you love what we do, you can send us a little cash via the Buy Me A Coffee platform. Any donation here is very much appreciated. And now on with the show. Return guest Stella O'Malley is a psychotherapist, best-selling author, public speaker, and a parent with many years' experience working in counseling and psychotherapy. In 2021, she founded GenSpect, an international group that advocates for a wider range of treatment options and more evidence-based approaches to gender-questioning children and young people. Her books include Cotton Wool Kids, Bullyproof Kids, Fragile, What Your Teen Is Trying To Tell You, which uh, we covered in our previous podcast with Stella, and most recently, When Kids Say They're Trans, A Guide For Thoughtful Parents. Stella, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Now, we, we are going to get into your book and, 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 and all of that, but just a couple of things to begin with. A small question, because I don't think it came up last time, uh, how woke or radically progressive is Ireland, really? This is a, it's, oh, this is a yeah. topic that comes up because we, we talk to people from the UK, Canada and the yeah. US, so I want to know where, where Ireland is uh, in, the, in the woke Olympics. Well, um, I suppose every country thinks they've got an unusual position, but Ireland does have quite an unusual position. Ireland is so busy being not England. It's dizzy, you know, (laughs) it always tries to differentiate itself by being not English. And um, there is a kind of a core, uh, core kind of population in Ireland that would be very sensible, working hard, no messing, you know what I mean? That they would be very far from the work sensibility because we come from, there would be a lot of poverty in, in our history. And uh, so that is there and it's solid. And that's everybody's mother, basically, and father. Then um, it's a uh, wokery has come in like a rocket in the last few years. And it's come in very, very fast and some very um, opportunistic politicians have jumped on it and they're half-baked about it because they don't use the right language and they don't get it right, but they're busily trying to get the woke vote. Um, so it's 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 very much the young versus the old or the young versus the middle age, which it often is in every other country. But there's one distinct difference in Ireland than there is in all, all, all the other English-speaking countries, which is in Ireland, you won't access medical intervention for gender-related um, distress very easily. The actual National Gender Service have rejected WPATH, which is the kind of strong advocacy group for fast-track to medicalization. And so we're having two things. It's a very social an awful lot of children are socially transitioning, but it's not really going anywhere. So you're kind of seeing uh, an actual experiment because England, they're fast tracking on medicalizing. Very same population. We're over in Ireland and we're, we're the same sensibilities, same kind of arguments, but they're not they're not doing the medical thing. Is there much of a difference between uh, Northern Ireland and, and the Republic of Ireland or are they pretty similar in, in terms of wokery? Um. I would certainly say not. Um, I would see Northern Ireland and Ireland as the same country. Thank you, <laughs> Thank you very much. You. What are you doing? Um, this is uh, one of the first times I emailed Stella. I accidentally put in your uh, call. Brit- I accidentally put British summertime in brackets, and she corrected me and put IST, and and I was like, "Oh, too right. Very well. Very good." <laughs> I think, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a big, long, difficult history, but certainly, I would see it. Northern Irish people as Irish. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, one of the topics we, we spoke about last time has been haunting me, Stella, and I, I think I might need your help. We were talking about how kids these days have such magical childhoods filled with, you know, parties and play centers and video games and, and, and all of that. 
But when they reach adolescence, they they crash hard when they discover the grim realities of adulthood. Now, I, I can't stop thinking about this because I think to myself, should I let my son go to that time zone party? Should I take Matt for ice cream? Should I? Should he have so many extracurricular activities, or should I cancel it all, make things more mundane? Uh, you know, everything we let him do makes me think that I'm setting up for a hard, setting him up for you know a harder fall later on. What What should I do? How, how do I get the balance right? Yeah, I think it's a very serious, actually, question that you're asking, and I, 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 I don't have any answers. I think it's great that you're thinking of it because there'll be natural conversations. I don't know you and I don't know your boy, but because you're thinking about it, there'll be natural conversations where when things happen to him in his first 10, 12 years, you'll probably say, well, you know, that's that's kind of the bitter pill of life. But that doesn't mean you can't have great fun. You know, some, we can't get all things from all people and sometimes friends will let us down. But that's OK, because they're great fun in other contexts. So you will be kind of you know, teaching that lesson naturally. It's it's a kind of, a, it's a more a, a philosophical outlook. While if you buy into it and almost collude with the kid that it's all magical and everything is going to be great and all the good people win all the time, then you're actually, it's it's in the brain more than in the kid's zone. You, mm. you know what I mean? That if they know that life is uh, complex, that's enough. That's enough, if you follow me, that they haven't, that it's not simple yeah. and that um, it's, it can be amazing, but it's not simple. The more that they learn that, the less likely they're going to fall into this simplistic life is magic. And if it's not, where's my therapist to make me happy? Because that's what a lot of them are thinking in adolescence. Mm. Well, I also wonder if uh, the all of the luxuries we've got now are, you know, giving them time to sit around and go... Oh, they get a release of time and they, they, they suddenly just open up the, the iPad and they go, oh, I think I might see what's on Reddit. And then they just go down to <laughs> slash trans and then <laughs> 10 days later, we're transitioning, you know? Um, it's not 10 days later, but it's amazing what happens. It's something that it, it's an extraordinary, I've worked with so many, uh, you know, teenagers who have uh, identified as trans and it's amazing because every single one of them have said so far, every single one of them, either they met somebody and much more often I saw somebody online on YouTube and it opens a door. They think that could be me. I could do that. There's something incredibly. Now, don't forget, between the years of ten and twenty, you're 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 thinking about your future life. You're thinking about where am I going in life. It's developmentally appropriate. That's what you should be thinking. But you're thinking, I could be a footballer when you're ten, and I could be, you know, a pop star when you're fifteen. And you're complexifying all the time, and then you're starting to, you know, think I could be this and I could be that. And you're you're getting there all the time, and you know, honestly, we get it wrong a lot of the time. But that's how your brain is thinking, and so they think. Imagine I could be a different person because that's what the world is telling them. I could be a different person with a different name, a different sex, different, different kind of uh, nobody would be able to refer to the old me. I'm just going to create a whole new me. If you think about it, it is the most alluring option to give any teenager that we've ever given them. This idea that you could be a different person and actually the person you're going to be is really edgy and they might even have a YouTube channel. They could be actually really, really, you know, they could be even be an influencer, which frankly among children is like the best. It's better than anything. And so it's it's such a intellectually exciting idea. Now we're older 
And we know, you know, that lovely book from John Kabat-Zinn, The Grandfather of Mindfulness, wherever you go, there you are. We know that you can't escape from yourself. They have been taught at a young age, you can be somebody different and they buy it. Well, currently my son uh, wants to be a vampire policeman when he grows up. So I'll let you know how that goes. I wish him well. I, I, I've no doubt there will be college, colleges offering courses for exactly that in about 15, 20 years. Maybe, so long as you pay the I do appreciate his focus on law and order, though. That's nice. He doesn't want to be a rebel. He doesn't want to be the bad does, guy. He wants yeah. to be keeping people in line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Just wait till we can watch Dirty Harry together. He's a, he's a bit young for that. But um, we wanted to move on to, on to free speech and, and, and get get your thoughts on 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, free speech around this around this issue and if there's one taboo topic out there in 2023 it's gender ideology and often there's there's a disconnect between what what people with gender critical views say and and how that's received by people in the other camp the, the gender the gender affirming side uh, you know any, any criticism whatsoever is labeled as bigotry and hate speech what what's been your experience uh you know expressing your views in in such a hostile environment it's it's been the most extraordinary experience of my life it really has i've i've i knew it was a strange world when i was getting into it i had no idea how strange and it was years ago because it was 2017 when i first spoke up and i knew like this is controversial but i also knew that i had books out that i had been in the media for a long time the people essentially knew who I was and where I was coming from if you follow me when you're right on mental health it's quite clear where you're coming from and yet I was immediately told I was a religious nut now I don't believe in God and haven't since I was maybe 10 or and I was right wing when it was quite clear from all my writing that I'm I'm very socially liberal on on the vast majority of 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 issues and so uh, being kind of slagged off in that way it was very it was like the earth tilts because you see people run with it and you see people discuss it and you see people just completely get the wrong end of the stick so that was kind of very frightening to realize that your reputation could get trashed by anonymous villains who are determined to make a bad faith representation of you but anyway we made a film in 20 in 2018 called when kids say they're trans and the premise of the film was could any of the four thousand percent rise in girls who seek in medical transition, could any of them been like me? Because when I was a kid, for many, many years, I had gender distress. And I wanted to be a boy for years and years and years. Hated being a girl. I was a misogynist. I hated girls. Hated everything they stood for. Hated them. Mm. And I hung, I did, I really did. And I hung out with the boys. I was very happy. Uh, I was kind of the most boyish of them all. I was a fighter and, you know, I was very competitive and stuff like that. And when puberty came, it was very, very difficult for me because I didn't want to be a girl. And it was awful. The whole thing was awful. It took many, many years for me to kind of gain some self-acceptance and body acceptance. And now I'm very happy I'm, I'm, I'm a woman and I'm very happy that I'm a mother. It's the most precious thing to me. But had I been offered puberty blockers during that awful time, I would have, I would have, sailed seven seas to get those puberty blockers. I really, really, really would have jumped at them because it was a horrible experience. But puberty brings out a sexual awakening. And a sexual awakening means I was fancying other people and they were fancying me and they appreciated me and I appreciated them. And over time falling in love, it, things like that were very healing for somebody who hates their body. So when I heard about puberty blockers, I thought, oh, that would not be a good intervention for this particular group. Of all, of all interventions, don't stop their sexual awakening. 
because the, it's it's key to kind of body acceptance. And um, so the premise of the film was, could any of these girls be like me? And should they be stopping their puberty? Because it would have been the worst possible intervention for me. For that, we were we were attacked so many times. It would take up the whole show if I was to tell you. I'll tell you just one thing that the director had 30 years experience of working in war zones from Israel, Afghanistan, everywhere. And after his film with us, Ollie Lambert is his name, and he does a great kind of talk about this issue. After the film Trans Kids, It's Time to Talk, he did a film called uh, something like 24 Hours in Gaza or One Day in Gaza. And it was about the Israeli-Palestine conflict. And he said, When I moved from trans over to Israel and Palestine, it was easier. Both sides in the Israel-Palestine conflict presumed and accepted that I'd be talking to the other side. With trans, they would not do it and they engaged in a series of dirty tricks to close us down. So it's unbelievable that that's the analogy he made, but he was very clear about it. It was easier to make the Israel-Palestine film. Well, this film, uh, Trans Kids, It's Time to Talk, is available on... This is the film, yes? Uh, yeah. Yep, it's available on YouTube and I encourage everyone to watch it. Uh, it is a time capsule in a way. Uh, it records presumably your first encounters with yeah. trans rights activists in real time. So you're seeing their language and their tactics. And um, I was shocked by the bit, there's a bit uh, just for our listeners where uh, gender critical feminists are setting I up know. a a, uh, a hall for a talk, you know, pre- yeah. fairly normal setting. And the trans rights activists who've set up outside, um, well, they, they block the door, they block, they stuff the, themselves in the stairs. But before that, they try and st- all masked up, wearing black. They st- try to storm into the area and have to be physically held back, all screaming hysterically, saying all the things that you'd imagine. Now, it all seemed so distilled and so perfectly cast and everything they said was uh, that I thought it was staged. Do you know what I mean? Like I looked at it Did and you? I was like, no, Did because, you? no, because if I, if I, if I was doing a Hollywood recreation of what, of, of, <laughs> Like the Oliver Stone version of trans rights activists coming in, say, they said all the things. They looked exactly how I thought they I were going to look. They said it was genocide, Nazis. Yes. They, 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 they went. It's not my. Not my. Um, they used this. They dropped a c word, saying like, like, oh, that, yeah. it's, like all of that great stuff. That because that's one of the the hallmarks is the, <laughs> like when you're trying to get someone to 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 say say my pronouns. Like it's difficult when you call the person you know, the C word, you know what I mean? Like, and you scream yeah. it in their face and you say, just be kind. And then you say all of that and you go, mm. but that's pretty, pretty common. Um, I want to say a little bit about that. I remember the day we were going to Bristol and this was so, I remember when I was uh, younger, my, my sister was kind of into very left wing British kind of politics. There was all these lesbians. It was very much, you know, ban the bomb and save the whale and all that kind of era. So it was very similar, but it was 30 years later. So we came to this place. It was upstairs in a fairly dingy place. And all these, what I would consider old style, left wing, socialist, middle aged women. They're a type knitting their own yogurt. Very, very nice. You know, (laughs) they're definitely a type. And uh, that's what it was. And it was like tumbleweed outside. And I was like, Jesus, nothing's going to go down here. Like, you know what I mean? We're coming to kind of film these um, these feminists speaking about women's rights, as they have been doing for decades. And then it all kicked off. And you know those people who tried to storm the building? They tried to storm the building to damage all the equipment. 
They went in specific. They they tried to. They, they they had a smoke bomb. They were trying to get at the equipment, and it was like, I was. You see me. I'm just so shocked. I just can't quite believe that these young, able-bodied men, mostly, who uh, were in masks in 2018 when nobody was wearing masks. Scary. And were yeah. it was really scary because they were really silent. So they were coming in. It was so strange. They they were the opposite of a SEAL team, though. You know, if 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 they <laughs> they the opposite of special forces. Like I I think if these if these uh, people were any softer, they'd be liquid, you know? <laughs> that was, you're, you're right, because they were coming in to damage it and then they had these female burly security people stopping them and I was like, what, what is actually going on? <laughs> and then they were saying, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, whatever, you know, it's, it's they you see. <laughs> At one point, <laughs> it was very, very funny when she says that about, you know, because somebody said she, her rather than they, them. But um, they were very bizarre people and then they started saying in this incredibly monotone way trans women are women trans women are women trans women are women and so they were drowning out uh the speakers because they were outside just screaming trans women are women and it so reminded me of animal farm and you know four legs good two legs bad and that kind of very monotone just and i couldn't believe my eyes that they were, it was like a I'd suddenly glimpsed I'd suddenly fallen in like Alice in Wonderland into a different world that I had no idea was happening and then after the film I was trying to talk to people saying something incredibly strange is happening but this was in 2018 I hadn't hit Ireland at all and people basically thought I was pretty odd coming back with pretty odd stories that were kind of a little bit off the wall and in England, they were busy just ruining my good name. So it was, it's been the strangest. I've tried to always just be very thoughtful and very unapologetic about my very well considered views that I've thought about more than I've ever thought about anything in life. And um, my, my genuine desire to help people should carry the day. But it hasn't necessarily carried the day in some circles. And it has been the strangest few years of my life. But I'm interested. Just before we move on to on to the book itself, I, I am just, just staggered by the way these topics can unperson or decareer someone. Like, like I don't understand. Like, you're still a, a practicing, uh, 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 you know, psychotherapist. Psychotherapist, yeah. And and you, you know, you've you, you talk you you have clients that you have to talk about all this other stuff. It's the same with like someone like Graham Linehan. He's still brilliant, still obviously a genius writer, but then. This one issue has a way of like people now in those circles, yeah. They they just they have a way of of um of unseeing you guys or something, and 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 suddenly, yeah. and and so I'm interested in the mechanism behind that because it's it's it seems very new. If you told me about it ten years ago, I wouldn't have believed you that that some of the people that are saying things can just now be. Everything they they they've they they've fought for, everything they really believe, is not taken into account, and they're just erased. You know, I think you you raise a really really good point, and I I really want to. I, that's where I see the my future kind of books talking about, which is effectively this has been a mass formation. It's a, a like a mass delusion in many ways, and it has happened many times over in history many times over and we've read about it in history many times and thought how did that happen how did that actually happen how did people go so mad and now I've watched it in real life I'm not saying it's the same it's 
without a doubt different, but the mechanism is the same. The ability for masses of people to shut down and go into a mass formation is very, very frightening and actually very, very real. And I had always wondered up until a few years ago, how did how did these atrocities happen in China, in Russia, in Germany? How, how do they actually happen? I don't get it. Well, now I do because I've studied it so much that people and it's free floating anxiety. I've read quite a lot about this. And it seems to be when there's a kind of free floating anxiety in society and people aren't sure who the villain is, if if the right kind of recipe suggests to them that's the villain. They will they will form against that villain because it's much, much cal- more calming to have a villain than to walk around going, I feel anxious, I feel stressed, my life is unhappy, things are going wrong, and I'm not sure why. That's a horrible place to be in. We can't humans can't deal with uncertainty. We can handle problems, but the kind of the, the brain is a problem-solving organ, and the idea of just giving us continuous uncertainty, it fries our brains. And so what we're looking for is, is, a, is a solution. A solution is there's a villain. The villain is the transphobes are wrecking everything. That's the problem. And so those people, I've met enough of them to know a lot of these trans activists, they genuinely think that there's a far right, deep movement that is busy, you know, meeting all over the world, ready to take over and, and destroy everybody who is non-conforming and gay and all sorts of things like that. And they don't, I know you could say, but if they even listen to us for 10 seconds, they'd know like two out of the three leadership in Genspect are gay. Do you know what I mean? That like they'd realize that we're, we're not at all. We're trying to get to the, to the right and decent place so you can help vulnerable people. But um, the, they don't think that because there's a, a, a mass, a mass delusion that we are villains. I, I hope I make sense there because I think it's a really, really important point. And I think that's what's going down here. And it's hard to believe until you see it for real. Do, do you think also that, that some organisations and, and people may uh, are taking advantage of this uncertainty as well? Because the, the, there is a certain industry around the LGBT uh, movement, really. I mean, you see it in in some advocacy groups, like like in Acon here in Australia, where they encourage you to employ people who are also in the LGBT community. So it becomes kind of this feedback loop where it, it it's it's more about employment for for people of their own kind than it is the movement anymore. You know. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like you know, when when Pride began, it was a it was a fringe kind of grassroots organization um and now it's a corporate very establishment um based and incredibly rich organization and um when i say organization i mean the pride groups around the the world you know what i mean there's loads of them but there's a huge amount of money floating around and in many ways what happened i've studied it a bit and what seems to have happened was when the aids crisis happened and it was awful a lot of money understandably and appropriately went into, you know, let's say gay, lesbian and gay issues. You know what I mean? Because specifically it was a difficult issue for the gay population. And then, you know, the way once a not-for-profit organization gets funding, they cling to it, (laughs) they keep it. Mm. So when the AIDS crisis went, they were very, very, very incentivized to keep the funding. And around that time, they were putting the T with the LGB in the 90s. 
You know what I mean? So around that time that they were incentivized to keep their funding, they found trans issues. So there's a lot of argument that there's a huge amount of money, huge amount base of money that is uh, propelling this forward. And it's become incredibly, it's very, very easy for an organization that wants to kind of tick a few boxes. You don't have to help, you know, the mothers who need help with breastfeeding. You don't have to help the the, the, the parents that need help with uh, childcare. No, no, stick a rainbow lanyard on things, stick a rainbow on the toilets. It's so much cheaper and easier to look progressive to do that than to do the difficult, boring, hard ways of helping your employees. So it's it's a it's a I think it's a bit of a scam for a lot of corporations. Well, you've got a new book out, which I think we should get to. Uh, you've co-authored it. It's called uh, "When Kids Say They're Trans: A Guide for Thoughtful Parents." Give yeah. us the overview, Stella. Uh, there it is. <laughs> That's it. Yes, I've got, I've got the digital um, one. That looks it's thicker than I th- than than. Oh yeah, it's it's hefty. There There's plenty go. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, to give us um, the overview. Myself and Lisa Marciano and Sasha Ayad, we're all therapists and we've been working with um, gender, gender distressed people, detransitioners, families in many different ways for years. So I just got to know them through this world. And, you know, they're both in America, in different parts of America, Philadelphia and, and Arizona. And over the years we got together and we were on a WhatsApp and we, we, we've just, we've become great friends. And myself and Sasha have a podcast called Gender and Wider Lens. And it was inevitable that we get so many emails every single day. Our, our email box is cluttered up with parents saying, I am so distressed. My autistic 12 year old thinks she's a boy. She's never been gender nonconforming. She's just been bullied. I think she's lost her way. Help me. Now, we get variations of that hundreds between us every day. So it's, it's a really, really intense push on our emails. OK, and we can't see you know, I'm only one person. They're only one person. We can't see them. You know, you know what I mean? So we've been busily trying to give them resources. I started Genspect to help, you know, parents to help people. Always we're trying to create resources and we knew what we need to do is create a book. We need to write a book and we need to write a book that helps parents help their kids. Because bringing in therapists who don't necessarily understand the issue triangulates, makes the therapist, the you know, the, the, the savior and the, the parent, the persecutor. It's not great. So it's much better if parents were equipped to help their children. And so that's why we wrote the book. And it's going to it's already just out. It's out in the UK and it's 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 already made a difference. It's already calmed my heart that all these parents with huge amount of really distressed children, a lot of, let's say, butch lesbians. They might be only 12 or 13 and they think they're trans because they don't want to be a masculine girl. They don't want to be a butch lesbian. Maybe they haven't had a sexual awakening yet and they're just trying to make sense of themselves. Those kids, gay boys, these are kids who are often kind of experiencing a difficulty and that they decided that being trans will give them a new identity and get them get them an escape route. For the current difficulties. So yeah, we wrote the book, we put our heart and soul into it. It was a labor of love and we're thrilled it's out because finally, finally, nowadays, when parents answer me, I'm like, when they email me, I can say, well, here's a book that has everything. That has everything. Because uh, it's, it's very upsetting to read long emails about somebody's family and the utter devastation that has been happening in the family and not really be able to help them. Well, have you had any engagement at all from trans advocates or or any of that that crowd? 
Well, you won't be surprised to hear we have. Um, <laughs> um, when Before the book came out, before anybody read it, because it wasn't available, but it was on Amazon to pre-order, um, I don't know how many. We had, made, we had many, 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 many reviews that were one star, telling people that it was transphobic and cruel. I know, isn't that mean? But, ver- but verified purchase? Did it say verified purchase? Well, then Amazon came in. Thank you, Amazon. And they created it so that you couldn't uh, you couldn't review it unless you were a verified purchaser. There you go. And now it's gone back up. So there's loads of one stars and, and then there's it, loads of five stars. Say what you like yeah. if you're going to buy it. Like, if you're going to buy the book, <laughs> you, can, you can take it. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. That's right. You know? Yeah, I, I think yeah. if you're going to comment on it, you have to at least read it, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, you know, it's been out now for a few months. It's like Gender Wider Lens. We've hundreds and hundreds of hours talking about gender and never yet have they been able to have trans activists been able to quote me and show that I'm this evil villain that they're always saying. Instead, they say, I hear she is. You know what I mean? Mm. The same. There's book, hundreds of pages. Go on then. Do your best. Find, find the dreadful things I'm accused of and they never can and that's when they lose interest and that's when I think of mass formation they have dehumanized us and when you've dehumanized a group you're gone you, you know what I mean I wrote about it in Bullyproof Kids when a, when a group of kids dehumanize one kid in the classroom all empathy all humanity it's gone and it won't be retrieved very easily uh, well, since we spoke about films last time, I have an actual question in a second, but we spoke about films last time and when you said dehumanizing there's a great film by Lars von Trier called Dogville uh, with Nicole Kidman, um, and uh, okay. so she comes into this town, and like you know, she's a nice woman looking for sanctuary, and very slowly through um, various uh, means, the very the nice town ends up dehumanizing her, and um, really eventually chaining her to a to a stone that she has to drag around. It's an incredible movie, right. and so it shows you in, an incredible cast as well, like Lauren Bacall's yeah. in it. They're all in it. Everyone's in it. It's great. So um, uh, perhaps that's uh, something for another time. But the question I had, there's a a complex uh, web of factors involved in this this issue, um, but perhaps we can perhaps we can zero in on a couple of them because your book is it's quite exhaustive, really. Like in terms of the you know the the, the different ways you can come at this as a parent. Um, but I'm interested in parents, uh, uh, so and parenting. So generally speaking, you know, what role does parenting style play in children going down, perhaps going down this path. Yeah. Um, two things one is there's a certain type of uh adolescent that is very prone to going down this path very often they're neuro uh diverse autism adhd ocd uh, you know various different conditions very often they're cerebral they're clever they're quiet they're um generally socially awkward kind of geeky the classic geek from back in the day gullible naive and so you can see they buy into it completely. Yes, I so I wouldn't know anything about time. that. I was uh, very cool and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, completely the opposite. Yeah, they're a very sweet-natured type and very idealistic. Now, their parents, you know, there's a lot of links with autism, huge links with autism and gender. And there's a lot of links with hereditary components with autism. So a lot of the parents, there is autism in the parents. And a lot of the parents are incredibly... Uh, loving and engaged it's very noticeable very loving and engaged and arguably maybe um ultra responsive 
So uh, maybe terrified of their child's distress, maybe terrified of any sort of conflict, maybe freeze in the face of conflict. And so um, they, when their child comes down with this light in their eyes, I've found the way, they don't go in, they, they kind of, they have different responses, but very often they are, um, they're pretty much discombobulated by it. So the, I wouldn't say there's a huge um, theme because some of the parents do come in very responsive at that point, but there is a certain type of parent that just seems entirely at sea and they're generally terrified of their child's distress. Well, I think you've got a lot more, uh, you know, grassroots uh, concerns in the book because the the, the 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 specific example I'm thinking of is my colleague, my wife's colleague, works in TV, and her family's rich as all get out uh, anyway, and uh, she's what I would call an aggressively progressive, uh, you know, parent. Uh, and I saw a picture of her, of her boy on a bicycle, Ricky. Come on now. I've seen it. I've seen it yeah. You've seen it? The, the yep. hot pink beanie, the long golden curls, um, uh, purple puffer jacket, the pink tutu. Okay. I know. hear you. And, <laughs> I and well, you, go on. No, go on. Oh, well, no, you I'm, raise a very good point. I'm you just saying, like, you know, I, I want to know what's going on here because this is this is something that it's, it's the circles we travel in. Is It's sort of artsy, creative, you know, some people are well off and it's this is something we see. I mean, you know, I mean, just some famous actresses who've got a bunch of these kids, more than one of these mm. kids in their well, family. Charlize, no, Charlize, stuff. Charlize Theron has, has two adopted yeah. boys. What are the chances? From that is winning the somewhere in twice. Africa. They're not related, but they're both trans. Yeah, you raise a good point. Um, when you look at, uh, let's say, the cohort of people who've had uh, anorexia back in the 80s, they were very often from upper class, well-to-do privileged families. You know what I mean? It definitely was particularly relevant. And if you look at, you know, there's a golden thread between, first of all, it was anorexia, there was kind of social contagion among female adolescents. Then there was bulimia, social contagion among female adolescents. Then we're moving into the 90s and the noughties and we've got self-harm, social contagion among female adolescents. It doesn't remain with female adolescents. It spreads out, but it begins with them. And now we've got gender dysphoria. It's all very similar. It's all, you know, privileged girls who are often very high achieving, who come from very high achieving families, who are well-to-do, who are big into hating their body, who despise themselves. It's a, it's a sad thing. On top of that, the progressive, like you say, the aggressive progressive, um, they, they virtue signal very happily in this field. And the fact is there's a huge amount of politicians and um, very famous celebrities who have uh, children who are now called trans. And that has made a huge difference to society because laws have been changed around these kids. Laws have been changed around schools. Policies have been changed, I mean, around schools. So um, the fact that these very, very aggressive, progressive people are thrilled to have an edgy kid, to have a unicorn, to have something very special that will make them less more intersectional and less privileged. They're thrilled and the kid is generally in distress. In fairness, the kid is generally in distress while the parent, they mightn't be thrilled and they'd probably throw the kind of the phone at me if they heard me say that. It's not thrilled. They they latch onto it very, very fast because it fills a gap in their brain that they feel very guilty about being so lucky and so privileged. 
no, that sounds that sounds totally on the money for me. And just one tiny little thing as well. I mean, you're the, you're the psychotherapist. I, I'm coming at it from more, uh, you know, dramatic perspective. I look at this kid and I go, this kid. If I wrote the story, this kid's going to grow up and be a total. I won't swear on this show, Ricky, but hound is the second word, okay? And uh, or a crusher. He's just going to be. I don't know these words. I like to look at He is going to go out with so many chicks, and it's only going to be chicks. He's going to be hetero as you like, and it's, and just an absolute wolf in sheep's clothing. Like he's going to have the tutu on, like Harry Styles. Harry Styles goes, "Oh, look at my dress." Anyway, you five heterosexual hot traditional women come back to my room. He's not doing any gender bending at home. None of it. Well, was David Bowie? You know. He, well, I think, you know, he was up for whatever by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah. I think you're, I think you have a point. I think there is a certain, I, if you go on Reddit and look at those, uh, go on the transforms and you'll see all these girls who think they're boys and who are talking about being boys and they talk about their gay, their gay male and their, their boyfriend says, yeah, sure, you're gay male. And you're thinking these gay male boyfriends. <laughs> I think they'd say anything to get into bed with these these girls. It's that the girls are vulnerable and lost, and the boys who go to bed with them are very often pretty. There's there's there's, there's a, yeah. There's definitely an element there that makes me go whoa. Not sure how decent those boys are. They they found an untapped resource. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I Stella it's just. I, I did want to I, – sometimes I have this thought that, that this sort of parenting approach, like pushing gender nonconformity on kids, is some sort of Munchausen, Munchausen syndrome. I mean, am, am I wrong in thinking that? And there certainly has uh, been some parents who have been extraordinarily kind of pushing gender on their kids. We've seen the accounts. We see them online. We see the kids even on TV saying, I, I, I don't think I'm – into this and the parents just driving over it so it's it's a it's a it's an issue it's an issue very often though that they wouldn't be typical they are loud and they are very extreme examples the more you know the the parent who just thinks their kid is trans they generally buy it they think there's some sort of kind of essence within you that makes you trans they see it as being the same as gay. They haven't really given it maybe very much deep thought, but they think there's some sort of thing in you that's unfalsifiable, very like a Catholic soul, unfalsifiable, unverifiable, but something within somebody and that makes them trans. And they think, I've got this special kid and it's my job to accept it. I've met so many of them. And they honestly thought, I, it's my job to accept my child in all their ways. And so I have to accept that they're trans. And so then they become incredibly, often because, and this is kind of a bit psychobabbly, but often because they at heart don't believe it, they get fervently very pro it. Do, do you know the way you can kind of overcompensate? Yeah. And so there's a whole group of parents who are beating the school door down saying, my trans kid, my trans kids. And when you talk to them and they're in tears and they're, you can see they're just very all over the place, you're thinking... There's more going on here. There's a dissonance going on here that is driving this. And they're lost. They've been told by professionals. And that's who I think are the villains of the story. The professionals who say to these people, you're trans, as if, you know, you're, it's in you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think they buy it. They buy that 
story that you can be born in the wrong body. Now, how you can be born in the wrong body for even one second? Like, can you be born in the wrong head? Like, what is the other body that I had an option of? Can I have it now, please? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm like, born in the wrong body as a concept, mm-hmm. but it, it really, they, they buy it because they don't think about it very deeply. Well, there's one part in your book uh, where you mentioned something. So, because let's take these the, these typical parents that you say are, are in this um, uh, this this situation, um, and there's this kind of reversed power dynamics that can happen between the parent and the child because the child, you know, seems to uh, in in some cases come out fully researched and prepped on trans oh, yeah. ideology, and meanwhile the parent is totally outgunned. Uh, and it seems like that is the word for me, outgunned. Uh, you know, th- these people have got, you know, their own lives, their own concerns. They've got maybe more than one kid, whatever. And, um, you know, so what What's um, what, what do parents need to do? I mean, do, 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 they, do the parents need to sort of, well, one, they can get the book, obviously, to mm-hmm. do the, to, they need to do their homework, right, and, and get on top of this stuff. Yeah, that's it, exactly how it happens. The kid has immersed themselves online. They've been they've been quiet and timid and generally obedient and compliant all their life. And then one day they come down with a fully fledged new identity, with a big story, with a huge amount of jargon and concepts and politics that the parent had no idea that they were immersing themselves in. And they are basically way ahead of the parent. So they have they're on a train that's left the station and the parent is pedaling trying to keep up and it is is literally doesn't understand the jargon doesn't understand the concepts doesn't understand i remember one mother telling me her 11 year old um when when the mother said I, i'm a feminist and I, I really care about women's spaces she said does your does your feminism include trans women and like <laughs> she's looking at the level, how, how do you know any of this? Like, where did all this come from? And you know, uh, immediately went into trans misogyny and stuff like this. The same eleven-year-old, and so the parents can feel really, really, like you say, outgunned and also very impressed. They get very impressed by their kid. Oh, they've done so much work. Yeah, and in fairness, if your kid had just done a huge amount of stuff that you didn't know and had huge concepts, because when you first hear about it, it sounds really, really cerebral and really, really clever. So you'd be kind of going, wow, they're maybe they're a genius. You're, you're certainly thinking that they're really, really well read up because they have immersed themselves and they have a lot of theory. And it's quite impressive when a 12-year-old has a lot of theory. It's unusual and impressive. And so they, they, they really, the parents can be shocked and impressed. But then over time, they read about it and they realize this is half-baked. This is not. This is like somebody, you know, in the 80s saying, I'm a communist. And then you start pushing them and then you realize you're... you're <laughs> You've got very little reading behind you. You know what I mean? You're, you, you know, you don't know as much as you think you know, which is fine for a 12-year-old. However, it's not fine when they're shouting at their parents that they're really a boy, that they need puberty blockers, and they'll get them from professionals. And that will stop their sexual awakening. And basically, it'll um, alienate them from their bodies because their genitals won't grow from when they take puberty blockers. So, you know, the girl's vagina or the boy's penis stays prepubescent when they take puberty blockers. And then as you grow, you're 13, 14, 15, 16, you're becoming very alienated from your body. And so it's no surprise that 98% of children who take puberty blockers go on to take cross-sex hormones. It's the beginning of a cascade of interventions that lead to 
a life that will have sexual impairment, infertility, cardiovascular problems, huge heavy medical burden on their shoulders because of what they got into when they were very young. So it's it's a really complex issue and there's an awful lot of, of very vulnerable kids falling in. And parents, in fairness, I have nothing but sympathy for the parents. They 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 are being really, really, really walloped by every side. Mm. You know, gender critical people are telling them they're not um, strong enough, basically. Trans people are saying they're killing their kids. The professionals are saying they need to give them these interventions or they might die. There's myths around suicide when there is no great kind of massive connection between gender and suicide. It's the same as any other mental health issue. There's just, they're being walloped on every side, shot by all sides, the parents are. They really are, and I have nothing but sympathy for them. Well, let's let's perhaps talk a little bit more about the professionals, because like, as you say, parents are copying it from, from, from all sides, and they might get approached one day from their kid, and they're talking about all this trans stuff, and they've done all the research, and then they think, what do I do? I go to a therapist. This this will help. We'll, we'll talk to someone. We'll talk to someone who knows more. But often... As as you know, and as we're finding out, the the, the therapists uh, are maybe not going down the right path. You know, if any of these parents had brought their kids to a therapist 15 years ago, they would have had a very, very different reception. The therapist would have listened to the kid. They would have explored how the kid uh, was feeling. They would have helped them with their distress, helped them with their coping skills and all the many things that psychotherapy would offer. Then the affirmation model came in. It came in about 10, 12 years ago. It's got no long-term evidence base. It sounds nice, just like the half-baked notion of born in a wrong body. Affirmation, you affirm people, you know, you affirm everything they say. It sounds pleasant, but it's actually quite, when you think about it, because, you, you, you know, it's not our job to affirm. You know, you might nod along to the, to the would-be vampire policeman, but you know, you're you're not you're not sending him off to vampire policeman school at five or whatever. You, I've got you him know booked I mean? into the dentist. He's getting his fangs tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's it, there's there's a you you might not challenge, but to affirm so that you give them new names, new hormone, new new medication, new pronouns. That's way beyond affirming. That's confirming for starters, and it's running with the ball very fast. And so um, the therapists today, they have bought into this affirmation model. And so they immediately, you know, as soon as, as trans issues come up, they say, what's your name? What's your new name? Um, what's your new pronouns? And they also ask everybody else. They will advocate for them so that the school and others will use the new identity without any thought or reflection or consideration. It just it's a fast track. And then a fast track to medicalization because WPATH, has, uh, which is the World Professional Association of Transgender Health, they have kind of created a scenario where therapists are now the role of facilitators. Our job is to facilitate people to transition. If they come to us, that's all we can do. There's no kind of therapeutic process and there's no value in the therapeutic process. Instead, it's your job as a facilitator. And it has really demeaned therapy, but it's unbelievable and that's where I go back to mass formation. How many doctors and therapists who are in roles of responsibility and well paid for it are choosing to um, follow such a mindless and inappropriate new intervention that has no evidence base? 
Well, this uh, comes up in your book as well, a historical example from not too long ago. And I remember this was such a thing in the 90s, the, the whole um, like recovered, oh, yeah. recovered memory. memory syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it was that was yeah. so big. There were like yeah, TV shows about it. It was a hot, and I know. every second person was saying, I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, my childhood. And, and, and so... It- it gained credence. It's that people, we started saying it, me and you and all of us, oh, you know, recover memory, you know, you don't know. You, we kind of bought into it. We bought into a basically stupid concept that there was all these experiences that we couldn't remember that had absolutely shaped our lives. And on top of that, with the recovered syndrome, memory syndrome, there was also multiple personality disorder that came in in and around the same time. And there was different mm. people were different yeah. people and stuff like that. And, you know, the the recovered memory syndrome is a really good analogy because it wreaked havoc, but it was only a small number of people. But people were accused of abuse and some people like ended up in jail for 20 years for things they didn't, you know, really devastation was coming. But it didn't quite pervade all of academia, the colleges, the establishment, the way this time around it has. However, you know, psychiatry and psychology has not covered itself in glory. I've never been, I'm like a priest who's lost his faith because I've never been so hostile towards, you know, psychotherapy and psychiatry and psychology as I have been in recent years. If you look in the history, look at the lobotomy scandal. Look what they did. You know, they they lobotomized many, 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 many people that they shouldn't have. You look at the multiple personality disorder. People, people's lives were ruined from recovered memory syndrome. That you just think these on high psychiatrists and psychologists using their kind of their position to be almost godlike. It's it's frighteningly um, uh, destructive to families and to parents. And when your kid is distressed, you are you will do anything to help them. So you bring them to the professionals. And if the professionals are not holding their power well, it can really wreak havoc, and it is wreaking havoc. Well, you've been writing and thinking on this topic for, for a little while now. And John and I, we've got pretty young children. So so we're wondering if you had uh, come across some some sort of surefire early warning signs that a kid might be starting to become affected by gender ideology. Because, you know, we might as well put our greatest fear into words. We're worried that one day in the future that our kids hmm. are going to, you know, shut the door on us. So we want you to help us to identify the Pied Piper early. How can we yeah. do Yeah. And Pied Piper is a good analogy. Um yeah, I I think it's important. Once you're aware of it, you're already halfway there. So don't worry too much, number one. And number two, I think it's important that you're aware that there's a certain type of kid who's much more likely to fall in than others. That geeky, cerebral, quiet, compliant, gentle, socially awkward, clever kid. Do you know what I mean? There is a certain type that if you have one of those, and they're lovely, they're gullible, but they're lovely, lovely kids. They're the kids that you need to kind of teach them quite early about this is biology, this is a boy, this is a girl. And when they're old enough, there's a concept called gender identity and people think of it. So you're there first, if you follow me. So you, you, I would go on the front foot with that. Now, if not, if they're jumping in at five, but they're well aware of biology as they're growing up. And then when they're complex enough, you tell them that there's a new, you know, there's a new uh, concept called gender identity. And this is what it uh, suggests. And, you know, you, 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 you read, you're, you're ahead. All right. Read so up what about, about it now. I'll do the full court press, right? They pick up some toy and I go, 
I go, oh, wow, that's fascinating. And I said, do you know that that, the, that you choosing that, uh, that choice was probably made for you uh, by the amount of testosterone you received in utero. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> Should I go hard or pull back a bit? Or... <laughs> no, no, what you need to do is film that and put it on YouTube <laughs> and then we can all share it. <laughs> yes, well, do it. But... Um, <laughs> Yes, no, look, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a scary thought because we, um, you know, uh, we spoke to a, a, a wonderful writer recently, Tim Lott, and, and he just mentioned something in casually. Uh, um, he might be in the boomer generation, but he mentioned uh, that his daughter had returned from university and had bought into, you know, yeah. all, all, this, all this woke stuff. And he said it was a point of – it's just something – so simple. He was just like it was a a a, a point of, of personal sadness. He said something like that and left oh. it there. And I and I went oh, yeah. And I was just like oh my god. So I don't know the full story, but you know this is it. This is where our fears are coming from. Is that can, yeah? Can I just say I think kind of the average twenty year old is is much more prone than the average five year old. I think there's a, going to be a backlash. I think it, it makes all brain sense to think that there will be a backlash. So your young kids will be all right. They'll be part of the backlash. They'll probably be very irreverent, would be my prediction. You, you know what I mean? No, I might be wrong. It might go completely the other way. But, you know, it's, it's the 20 to 35-year-olds that are really caught up in it, arguably. Mm. But I've always, it's interesting you say, I always think about this, like I think about, uh, you know, windows of of bad yeah. timing and I go, oh, God, my kids missed yeah. Corona, which is great. Yeah. That, that's a whole other thing. My kid's probably going to miss some of this, this hysteria. But then I'm like, wait a minute, you know, maybe I'm like all the boomers are and everyone I rage against who don't understand technology. Because I feel like the technology has deep six these people, like the people who like... Yes, the, the the geeky anime loving kid with autism is the the can the mark the candidate, yeah. but the co-conspirator is the the cheerfully uh, uh, ignorant of well, technology parent yeah. who, who's like who's like oh 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 I don't know how to do anything on technology and I go okay yeah. right you if you don't understand online culture you don't understand Reddit and Discord and and yeah. and memes and all this stuff you don't understand this then you know you are this is not a good mix here because that mm. you are literally I think of those two people and I'm like they are not talking the same language. I couldn't agree more. And I think you're right. I think, you know, parents who say, I don't understand technology, you've got to learn. It's like if your kid was, you know, hanging out in the red light district two streets away, you'd go and check it out and figure out what the hell is going on down. You know what I mean? You can't just, you know, step away from technology uh, on any level. But what that, that guy said is it's very, very sad, isn't it? I do. I just, I, it's really resonated with me. It's a point of sadness, what he said. But I do think it's really important that we, have the humility to realize that something else will be impacting the five-year-olds. I, I, I wonder, I don't particularly think it'll be gender. It could certainly be identity-based. Do you know what I mean? So something is coming. We don't know what it is. Like, did anybody see self-harming coming? You know what I mean? It would have been like, what? Where did that come from? You know what I mean? Nobody saw it coming. But it's, Nobody it's, saw I, these things. I'm doubly worried coming. because, you know, I've got a girl and, you know, it seems like they're on the hit list for a lot of these things, bulimia, self-harm. Yeah. Basically, I'm so, yeah. I, mean, I mean, even my sister's got two kid, two girls and, oh, man, like the, the stuff that, that, that just the, the bullying and the, 
on the Snapchat, all this stuff. Like it's just just feels like that that um that there's they're more likely to run into with the way the world since we've got a, a turn towards technology and online and people can't imagine being in real life anymore. Uh, then it just stands to reason that if they're drawn to social networks and they're drawn to those sorts of things, maybe naturally, then um, they're, 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 they're more likely to come across these contagions. Yeah, I think um, if you have a girl, I think girls need to be taught about social contagions at a young age. You can find lovely clips. I, I, I indoctrinated my daughter. I used to send her these. Uh, she loved them. Uh, these YouTube clips of different kind of social experiments from the 60s where everybody would stand up because one person stand up and all about that kind of social kind of contagion happening. And so you can teach your kid in an interesting way about social contagion at nine and 10 and 11. And it's you're, you're just telling them this is a thing like The Social Dilemma is a great film to watch with your kids at around 11 or 12 for the same reason. There's plenty out there that you can tell your kids it's still going to be hard. It's often hard to be an adolescent. But if your kid is kind of well savvy to issues such as social contagion and issues such as the ways females hate their bodies, then arguably um, they'll, they'll be inoculated on some level. Well, John, you, you brought up an interesting thing where, where you say, you know, your girl's more on the hit list than, say, my son. Yeah, the vampire cop. Well, he, yeah, he's going to be the vampire cop. Yours is going to turn into a man. But <laughs> where... But but Stella, we're led to believe that gender is is fluid, but but there is a noticeable difference between like young girls going trans and young boys going trans. Like their experience is different. Like and it's almost like a gendered experience in a way. Like do you do, do you see this? Yeah, this, well, it's it's it's, al- it's almost very very ironic. Well, it is ironic that the the boys who identify as trans, do it in a very boyish way. And the girls do it in a very girlish way, if you follow me. So the girls do it very socially. They want everybody to acknowledge them. They want the pronouns and the names. There's a lot of kind of bi and deodorant that's male and all the kind of accoutrements of being male, you know what I mean? Maybe a bandana and the T-shirt and they're dressing up. It's very, (laughs) and they kind of might even, and I'm not being, I'm I'm not even exaggerating, they make collages of their look. A vision board. <laughs> Bo- boys don't do this. No, we're not doing no vision boards. And you, can't let, you think this is so girlish. And then they compare their vision boards and stuff. So that's the, the, the girlish way. But, you know, don't forget, I'm smiling, but there's a, there's a specter of medication that a lot of these girls end up with medication and end up having mastectomy. So while I'm smiling, it's, it's, it's shocking to watch it unfold. While the boys do it in an incredibly different way, they're in their bedroom. They've no interest in whether you use pronouns or not. And I'm just being I'm generalizing wildly here, but you can see the difference. There's, they're in their bedroom. They're at home. They've no interest in any of the extra bits and pieces. And they want hormones. And they want them now. And they're not interested in talking about them. They're not interested in whether you believe them or not. They want hormones. Give me them. You, you know what I mean? So it's and they watch geologic amounts of sissy porn. Yeah. So the males are very often incredibly influenced by, like you say, sissy porn, hypno sissy porn, trans porn, 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 porn. And we don't really know. This is a new world because we don't have any research. We just have an extraordinary level of online content. And this seems to be a porn adult group that are really in their bedroom, like I say, on their own, no interest. And they're kind of got this 
Cinderella fantasy that one day they will get their hormones and they'll emerge like Cinderella. And they might be six foot two and big and hairy, but they're going to emerge like Cinderella in their mind because they have bought into something that is a complete delusion that they're going to be this beautiful, small, petite, uh, sexy woman. And it's like, how do they actually think this is going to happen? But our belief, to, our ability, our human ability to suspend disbelief and to buy into, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We can do that with everything. We do it all the time. So they do it, we do it, we all do it. It's just this is a particularly shocking scenario. Like I say, it's the concept of trying to be a different person. It's very alluring. Well, before we let you go, Stella, I'm, I'm dying to ask you a question, which I wanted to ask you last time around, actually, and it's about drag queens. I apologize in advance. I, I <laughs> need to know, someone needs to explain to me this obsession with getting young young kids in front of drag shows and, and, and how it's connected to trans rights. Right. Uh, this is a huge uh, question. It does seem to be that there's a, a kind of a, an organized dark uh, side to all this who are determined to stick trans everywhere. Whether they're, they're normalizing sexual content, which they seem to be doing, and why they would be doing that leads you to very dark conclusions. And um, the sexualized drag shows that these children have been exposed to all in the name of ha 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 this is very funny when you're a kid if you remember being a kid before you were sexual it's icky it's creepy mm, yeah. seeing anything sexy it's not it's not funny it's actually creepy it, gives, it makes you want to throw up before you're sexual like he yourself. says in princess bride fred savage goes oh is this a kissing book yeah you know, that's what book. you say. You say, is this a kissing yeah. book? It's, it's, it's not nice. And so uh, these kids are being kind of told, ha, 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 this is very funny, while somebody is very sexualizing in front of them. And it's, it's a very seedy and I would say really quite nefarious element that makes me think that there is more underworld driving this than we anticipate. Well, Stella, I want to give you uh, the final word. You can uh, talk about anything we've we've missed out or anything you want to say, but but I just wanted to to pose this to you. Um, you know, the climate is such at the moment that parents might not know who to talk to about this whole issue. Uh, I, I, for one, would be scared that the school or my kid's psychologist uh, would reveal themselves uh, to be an ideologue suddenly and t too late for me. Um, so who can we talk to? Uh, when we don't know who to trust. Well, I'm glad you, you give me the, the last word. Thank you very much. What I'd like to say to, to people who are listening, if you're a parent, you are more than likely the world expert on your child. You're more than likely the person who knows your child better than anybody else and who cares about your child and is willing to figure things out more than anybody else. So don't don't give your power away. You know, they say 80% of people can do 80% of jobs. You can probably figure out what's gone down with your, your kid. Read about it, look up, check it out. If you're not a reader, watch YouTube. There's so much content out there. Figure it out and look at it all critically. Equip yourself so that you can help your kid. Put yourself in a position that you're helping your kid rather than giving your power away to people for whom it's a job, and honestly, you don't know their values. I think it's uh, kind of frightening when I say that to parents because they're like, oh, my God. But also it's, 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 it's liberating as well. You're good enough as, as, your, as yourself. Well, that's great advice. Uh, Stella, we, 
we have a final question that we ask all of our guests, <laughs> and we'd like to know what you're reading right now. You got me. Oh, I'm reading. <laughs> I'm such a sucker for reading. Uh, oh, I read books again and again and again. It's embarrassing. So I'm reading Ben. El- I massively recommend it. Ben Elton, Identity Crisis. <laughs> when did, <laughs> Which when is, did he write that? <laughs> he wrote it a few years ago. It's past everybody. And it's very funny. It's very witty. It's a brilliant analysis of trans issues in his funny way. And it's a brilliant analysis of algorithms and the online, how your lives have been shaped by people who are basically shaping it in offices around algorithms and online content. So it's got two things going on. It's funny and it's really good read. And I've read it too many times. I've got a, 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 I don't know, this bitter love-hate relationship with Ben Elton because, oh, yeah. because, no, because he's such a legend. Like, like, and he's, the, he, the words of his of the young ones and like are just in my in my bones like I love those so much but then he you know sort of maybe fell off a bit and and then the final insult this is very personal to us the final <laughs> insult is that he moved to our hometown uh, he in did. Perth in did. in um, WA so that's totally you are st- most uncool like I was like I was like you're Ben Elton <laughs> what are you doing here get out go leave. <laughs> What are you doing here? You don't like him because he moved to your hometown. No. no, you know what I'm talking about, Ricky, right? Like when you find, if you find out, like when they come, like there's another one, Vincent D'Onofrio, I think he's rolled up. A couple of people roll up there and I'm like, stop it. What are you doing? Go and do something Why? proper. Stop living in not, Perth and doing nothing. It's not nice living in Perth. It's lovely. It's too lovely. It's and too you lovely, do nothing. Yeah. You, don't, you'll, you will never create the young ones in Perth. Okay. Well, it will never you well in the man's defence, that book is, I'd say, about three years old. Really good book. Two, three years old. Really good book, and mm-hmm. it's totally under. Nobody seems to mention mm. it. All right, I'll read it. Do. <laughs> Maybe he wrote it in Dome Cafe in Frio somewhere. But that's the thing. I think of where he wrote it. I'm like, he wrote. It. I know where he's written it. Well, I, I've got a question. What the hell are you doing in Perth? Get out. No, Go I'm do something. I'm in Melbourne. We left ages ago. So, but but uh, but we didn't really leave. That's the thing. That's why I'm so bitter. Like I'm, like you know the. It, there's that great really line leave. from. But there's that great line from um, uh, Carson McCullers. Yeah, well, there's that one. But Carson McCullers, uh, another author, she said, uh, "I need to return home every uh, periodically to re- to renew my horror," and that's oh, how wow. I, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> oh, that's like me and Blanchestown too. See, there you go. Like, if, what if Ben Elton moved there? Yeah, but Blanchstone is a kip. It's a, oh, he would never leave. He's more going to move there than anybody. <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody has ever there. moved to Blanchardstown willingly. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, nobody has. Uh, <laughs> wonderful. Well, thanks for being so generous with your time again, Stella. Um, I really and- enjoyed it. Uh, let's firstly, your book is obviously called, uh, as we My said. My book is called When Kids Say They're Trans, and the corresponding webs, our podcast is um, Gender and Wider Lens. So you'll find everything there. Everything you need to know about gender. Everyone should check that out. And I feel like I need to apologize for my comments on Ireland. I, I hope, ah, I, didn't. No, I, I, hope I didn't reignite some sort of a civil conflict. No, there. I, so. I, like to, I like to take people up on it because I have noticed, you know, it's like all um, concept creeps. And suddenly Northern Ireland has become separated. For, it's just so in the last 10, 20 years, people are really separating Ireland from Northern Ireland. I'm like, whoa. But as you know, I'm, <clears throat> I'm on to, whatever I'm on to, I'm into it in a big way. But <laughs> don't worry. I, I know nothing. I'm, <laughs> I'm from Perth. I'm good humoured about it. 
No, you're forever, you're forever lost to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's over. Ah, this Irish, full of passion. Yeah, feisty. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Stella. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the New Flesh Podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.